So one thing's for sure is if you're not learning to use AI in your job or to advance whatever professional and personal even goals that you have, then you're probably going to be left behind. Um, so, yep. so that's that's the real challenge of it. And that's, you know, why all these people are saying 300 million jobs affected. Yeah, it'll create jobs, but it's really going to affect more than it will potentially create is what they're saying. Let's get ready to scale. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I am your host, Jeanette Friedrich, formerly Jeanette Robinson. And I bring that up today because our guest is none other than my big brother, Nathan Robinson. So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And congratulations on the name change. <laughs> Nathan knows uh, intimately about this because he was actually my officiant. And so before we dive in uh, to our conversation, let me give you all some background about my brother. He is the Senior Manager of Data Science and Computing at Sandia National Laboratories. In addition to this, he was actually selected as a fellow by the Eisenhower Foundation back in 2016 as a U.S. representative to China centered on higher education and local governance as stimulus to research and economic development entrepreneurship and social enterprise. He also previously served as the assistant VP of the University of Texas in El Paso, which is where we originally grew up. In addition to all of this, he also co-founded Pick and Learn, which is a social impact organization dedicated to bringing opportunity to challenged populations. Previously, he worked in research and development at Motorola. He's also worked for the Department of Defense on electromagnetic and telecommunication projects. And in case all of that was not enough, literally my brother, the rocket scientist, worked <laughs> in space shuttle propulsion system and exoatmospheric vehicles at NASA. So for those of you that have ever experienced sibling rivalry and lost, I commiserate <laughs> with you. Last but not least, Nathan was also a director of operations in mechanical engineering at UTEP. He, uh, his adventures have taken him all over the place. He's worked in the U.S., Mexico, Peru, Saudi Arabia, Oman, and China. He has his bachelor's in electrical engineering, and I'm ashamed to admit, I didn't even know this until today, he has his master's <laughs> in economics and finance. So Nathan, welcome to the show, you brainiac and overachiever. That's a very gracious intro, very gracious intro, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and congratulations on the master's. I literally had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, in econometrics, no less. So like the statistical modeling of economic data. So that maybe that'll come into play today. <laughs> very cool. Well, as you guys can see, uh, I got the looks, he got the brain. So I have <laughs> him on the show. <laughs> All right. So. What we're gonna talk about today is actually AI. So, you know, it's all the rage right now. It's been in the media a ton. And I think it's become a very generic term that people just keep slapping onto concepts that they're really not sure exactly what it is. And so I may very well be guilty of this myself. I don't know. So Nathan, please break it down for us and unravel this whole thing for us. What is the difference between AI, automation, and if-then bots, and why in the world do we need to know this? 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I'm a practicing Buddhist and have been for quite a long time. And maybe 15 years ago, all of a sudden, the word Zen was everywhere from shampoos to, you know, clinics that you would drive by. And then we went on to the internet of everything, right? The internet of devices, and then the internet of everything. And now I think we're going to see the AI of everything, right? Everything's going to have AI in it. Um, so I think it's worth talking about automation um, from the Ford assembly line to today's robot welders. Um, we've been experiencing more and more automation, uh, mostly because of cost savings, productivity gains. At least if you look at it from you know business owner's perspective or from a shareholder perspective, the more automation, the better. Um, but perhaps not. Like Goldman Sachs put out a report in 2023 that the world's going to see 300 million jobs lost or diminished, you know, through AI and automation. Um, but it'll grant us a 1.5 percentage point growth or an annual GDP growth uh, of 7% globally. So you're going to see people displaced and yet productivity gains. So therefore, GDP grows up. Um, some of that is AI. Some of that is generative AI, a term that's really caught on. Uh, but there's a difference between automation in the sense of a mechanical arm replacing a person that puts parts on a circuit board to automation that's basically if-then logic, like if this happens, then do this, to what we're trying to talk about, which is automation in the form of machine learning, right? Like the, the National Bureau of Economic Research claims that like 50% of the lowering in U.S. wages since 1980 can be attributed to blue collar workers replaced or degraded by automation. So that's gonna have sweeping effects in real estate and investment and everywhere. Um, but toward your point, think of like an insurance company page. We've had for years now a chat bot. And if you put in that chat bot, you know, policy change, then it's like, oh, well, here's the website to do it. But that bot really wasn't thinking per se, it wasn't learning. It was just, if the user has the phrase policy change, then give them this web page. And that's the way programs have worked and automation has worked in the past. If this sensor does this, mechanical arm does that. But what we're talking about now is machine learning. So, you know, IBM's computer beat Kasparov in chess. Later, Google's AlphaGo used deep learning and reinforcement learning to crush people in this game of Go. And in Go, there's multiple pieces, multiple spots on the board. So it wasn't looking up a map and saying, if the pieces are in this position, then do that, right? There's too many combinations of that. Instead, it was learning and developing strategies on its own through these types of, you know, deep learning, reinforcement learning um, to come up with its own strategies and then crush us mere mortals. So, yeah, now everything from, is going to have AI. Volkswagen just announced ChatGPT will be in its console. You know, that way wow. you can, I guess, yeah, ask it to write you a poem or whatever while you're driving. So, so I think that what you want to get out of this is there's machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing, neural networks, all these terms affiliated with or that are subsets of AI, including generative AI, the hottest of uh, probably topic of them all. Um, I plan to use all those terms in our discussion so people will think I know what I'm talking about. But machine learning can be thought of basically as like a black box where it has inputs coming in and then it either builds what's called a regression model or a classification model. Regression, it looks, it gives you a numerical output or a prediction based on input data, like put in stock data, it predicts what's gonna happen. Classification, 
Um, you give it an image and it tells you that's a dog or it gives you or you give it an email and it tells you that's spam. Um, so those are kind of the two models. Um, machine learning's coming. I already hear uh, it's been coming for a long time. It's already here. So what it's good at is pattern recognition, determining features and data, and then making decisions or predictions. So you can think of it like a prediction engine, basically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting because um, we've had a few shows where we talk about AI and the impact that it's going to potentially have on real estate investing. And, and it's fascinating and a little bit terrifying all at the same time. So we're really big on um, utilizing a couple of different AI platforms in our underwriting. So essentially what we're using it for is, you know, we're looking at a property and we want to assess what do we think the projections are going to look like for the returns on this property, you know, over the next two, three, four, five years, right? And, you know, it's kind of astounding the data that we get um, from a couple of these different platforms that we use because it's so incredibly granular. I mean, I know the breakdown of, you know, all boys age five to nine, 10 to 12. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it's terrifying information that it can get, it, it, you know, just on a, a targeted um, basically a targeted geographical region within, you know, one mile radius, three mile radius, five mile radius. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, and, you know, we use that to help us understand, you know, very likely what the market trends will be for that particular area, what kind of turnover we can anticipate on the property, who are the chronic renters, you know, who's actually the homeowners and, and who actually occupies those homes. Um, you know, just a ton of information, the general education levels of the tenants, uh, all kinds of things. So, you know, it's fascinating and it's very insightful, but it's also it, it, things get very real when you start putting money against them. You know, so this is all fun. This is all well and good having a super interesting conversation with ChatGPT. But, you know, are you going to trust these type of predictive analytics with $100,000, with $250,000? So, you know, I think it's I think it's really exciting some of the data that we're starting to get and the capabilities that it's giving us in the industry, uh, like being able to scrub through deals so much faster. But I do agree that there is definitely a lot of potential for job loss, uh, which ultimately can impact our tenant base and turnover again on our properties, delinquencies, you know, things along those lines. Um, that is, you know, concerning as well as privacy concerns also, um, but also just the idea of, you know, we're playing with science and now we're playing with science combined with our money. And that, that's a whole other kind of game, you know, that it makes me a little nervous, but I also really feel like it gives us a, uh, an advantage. Uh, so what are your thoughts about how much can we trust this kind of technology, especially you know, given I, I assume it's kind of like good data in, good data out, but there's so many people influencing these machine learning platforms now that ah, the data can be very skewed, right? If, if so, I don't know. I mean, how do we know kind of how to gauge the trustworthiness of some of the feedback that we get from these types of tools? Yeah, well, there's a lot of places to go there, and I'm not sure how much time you've got, but, you know, I'm a, a frequent flyer and traveler, and I was flying with this guy who uh, we were talking about AI, and he said he would never trust AI for flying the plane, and, and then when we land and we're, we're waiting for our bags, it turns out the guy has a Tesla, 
and he uses it in self-driving mode, right? So on one hand, you're like, never. And on the other hand, he gets in his car and lets it drive him home. So our tolerance and our acceptance of AI comes in, I think, incoherent ways, right? Um, so we were talking about AI. I think uh, if you think about basic machine learning, so or a, think about a black box, right? It has these inputs. And what's happening is there are weights on each of these inputs. Then there's like a mathematical function or what they call an activation function that gives you this certain type of output. That's just one. Um, and if we were to look in that, we could see the weights on each of those inputs and more or less infer, you know, which one has the most uh, impact on the output. Now, what happens when there's a thousand of those boxes in a, you know, in a row? That's analogous to a neural network, which is where deep learning and a lot of AI occurs. When you look in and you see a thousand of those, then it's not so easy to intuit, you know, what is really having a big impact on the output. And then when in a neural network, it actually keeps continuously reassigning those weights for every layer as it's training. So this is where the uncertainty of the models come from, right? It's hard to understand what's happening in that many layers, that big of a dynamic. And yeah, you're right that these models are just like people. I mean, they tend to be like people in that it's only as good as what it consumes, right? If you are reading extremely biased news and information every day, then chances are your speech is gonna become biased because your thoughts and actions are gonna become biased. Um, and so if we train this model and there are biases in there that appear as patterns, then there's the chance that those patterns will get replicated and therefore you have a biased model. So uh, there's a big importance on the model and on the hardware and things that make AI run. But there's also a big importance on what data do you train this on, and then how do you measure the uncertainty around it? So trusted AI is a big, big focus. I mean, whether we're using it on deciding on bank loans, which could be a perilous because if there's historic inequities or bias in that data, then that could be pushed forward. Um, if we're using it in you know, deciding on what kind of energy model for an energy turbine, and if we get it wrong, this thing destroys itself, you know, so you got different types of biases and different types of uncertainty and trust that we need to talk about in order to use it effectively. Uh, there's tons of work in that area. Uh, and then I think it's worth noting too that from let's say a finance and investing or real estate perspective, there's the use of AI and automation in the operational or administrative side. And then there's use of it in the service or product site, right? Like Deloitte recently announced that all their employees have access to their own bot that they created, their own AI that they created. And they're supposed to use it for like PowerPoints or even writing project plans or writing code. That's sort of the administrative side of it, right? And then you have Visa and MasterCard using AI for real-time fraud detection. You have Citadel Securities, Two Sigma using AI for uh, high-frequency trading. So, you know, where's your tolerance? If it's AI creating a PowerPoint and then you look at it and go, ooh, that doesn't look so good, uh, that's not too bad. But if it's automated through, you know, this high-frequency trading and your money's just, choo, 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 then that's where the nervousness, you know, starts to ratchet up a little. Um, and so I think, you know, you put guards in um, and you try to risk uh, manage um, differently based on which space you're applying this in, right? Uh, uh, that's probably, I'm guessing, what you've seen. And then I guess from your perspective, and I touched on it earlier, 
uh, separate from the administrative side and the service and product side is the, the customer side, right? Like for you, I would imagine if AI is really going to displace globally 300 million jobs or augment them, um, and that's going to, you know, there are many predictions that that's going to push wages down. And not necessarily for what we're seeing so far, I shouldn't say look like the, the blue collar, but the white collar, right? These professionals, we're seeing a lot of augmentation of those types of jobs. So if you have somebody who's a pretty creative writer, and now you have 15 somebodies who is an average writer that can augment their writing with AI, then you got lots of people competing for the same job. Therefore, you can pay less. And so you could see this, you know, skilled labor force, this white collar labor force getting downward pressure on their skills. Um, So, you know, what does that mean for real estate? Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sunbelt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. No, very interesting. Um, you know, I, I can touch on kind of several different components of that. So, you know, part of what I brought up earlier that where AI comes into play with real estate investing is in predictive analytics, right? Because, of course, I'm on the investing side of the house. So that's, of course, what I think of first. But it's really interesting, too. It can even be used um, in property management. Um, so, you know, essentially monitoring, you know, how do you monitor 400 air conditioning units? You know what I mean? Uh, things along those lines that help you, you know, kind of ensure that your investment is getting the maintenance that it needs when it needs it, rather than, you know, waiting for 25 people to report that their air conditioner broke, you know, you can implement AI technologies that help to monitor things like that. But then, you know, to your point about, um, you know, just which demographic is going to be more impacted by potential job loss from AI is really interesting. So we actually focus on class B assets and typically, Class B is like one step below luxury. So it's not rough, you know, it's not like super luxury, but it's definitely not rough. I mean, they're pretty, you know, very nice apartments for the most part, something probably you and I would have no problem living in. Um, you know, they're nice. And so that really is my our tenant demographic that you're talking about right there, because typically they're more white collar than they are blue collar. Uh, typically you'll see more blue collar in like class C or D assets, which are a little bit more run down, a little bit older, sometimes not in the best part of town. Um, so actually you're talking about the, the demographic that I am most concerned about, which is interesting. And I've heard kind of the flip side of the argument is that while it's going to potentially eliminate a lot of jobs, it's also in turn going to open up a lot of new jobs. And so I'm curious, what are these new jobs? I mean, are these people that know how to how to prompt, you know, chat QPT better than another? And that's really, you know, what these new jobs come down to? Yeah, well, there's two buckets that we can put people into. And we share a brother who compares like what's coming in AI and look, it's gonna create a a lot of new jobs and it's like the steam engine or the combustion engine or 
And then there's the other bucket where like the past presidential candidate, Andrew Yang was, and his platform was basically AI is going to take away a ton of jobs and then what are we going to do? And the reason Andrew Yang thinks that is because, you know, a steam engine or a combustion engine isn't going to come and take everybody's job. It's just going to take the jobs from the horses that used to pull the carriage or, or whatever, you know, but with machine learning, you can do so many things. And that's what people are figuring out now is I can do tons of things. Right. I don't need a graphic artist per se. I can just type in what I want. And this thing gives me five different versions. And then I ask it to modify it and it modifies it. And then I pay a $20 subscription per month and that's it. And then I can get it to write my website and then I can get it to do my project plan. And all of a sudden, these are lots of different people that are being affected. Will it create new jobs? Sure. I mean, we need programmers, you know, and people are saying, well, you know, somebody's got to program the robots. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, one lady and then there's, you know, 500 robots. So, you know, it doesn't scale the same way in this bucket The you know, and that's what they're concerned about is, look, this is going to be a revolution, right? So one thing's for sure is if you're not learning to use AI in your job or to advance whatever professional and personal even goals that you have, then you're probably going to be left behind. Um, so yeah. so that's that's the real challenge of it, and that's you know why all these people are saying 300 million jobs affected. Yeah, it'll create jobs, but it's really going to affect more than it will potentially create, is what they're saying. Well, and you know. Then, from an investment standpoint, I have to say I'm actually excited about it because um, more and more I'm developing a lot more interest in actually VC. And I think that because of the potential for AI to come in and essentially replace almost an entire staff, I think a lot of innovation and a lot of entrepreneurs are really going to start emerging over the next you know, several years um, with the major, major difference being that suddenly thanks to AI, they're equipped with like a team that they otherwise could not afford. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I actually think it's going to lead to a lot of innovation and a lot of new opportunity from a VC standpoint, um, though, obviously, you know, it all comes at a cost. Uh, I'm curious to know um, also what your take is uh, basically on kind of where it's all going to go in the future. First and foremost, I know that there's a lot of pushback uh, specifically about people's concerns for privacy and how very invasive AI can potentially be at, you know, just like I described earlier, gathering up all these details about our personal lives, you know, and using those, you know, for, you know, corporations that want to profit off of people, right? Things like that. So, you know, when it comes to security standpoint, is there even any hope that we can actually protect ourselves? Yeah, actually, I, I recently, you mentioned the Eisenhower Fellowship, they had a world forum and I got to speak about cybersecurity. And I, I was really saying cybersecurity is sort of a misnomer or a phrase that should be replaced by cyber resiliency, because security is an illusion, um, especially unless, you know, you're going to live in a, a cabin in the woods, then you're probably pretty good. But if you're going to get on the Internet, if you're going to use a smartwatch, like some of these people were shocked to find out that, you know, they sent their DNA sample in for their ancestry. And then it turns out they were reselling your your samples to laboratories. And then somebody hacked one of those companies. And now your DNA is for sale on the Internet. And, and, you know, if you have a smartwatch, you're participating in various websites, your refrigerator is connected to the Internet and you're ordering things off of it. 
then your data is everywhere, right? And then we're going to complain that AI is taking it. It's kind of like the guy with the Tesla versus plane, right? It's it, We have to be robust in how we look about it. And so what you want to think about is really resiliency, you know, privacy, resiliency. AI models can be leaky. You can back out training data. You can um, pull out information. That's how some of these authors figured out like this, this thing read my book for sure, because the level of detail that it's given me in these answers, it, it read my book. Like, this is not inference. Um, and so you can do that with people's data, potentially, right? So knowledge is always power, right? Knowledge is power is an old adage. So with AI's influence in data-driven decision-making, then proprietary data, rare data, personal data becomes potentially even more powerful and valuable. And so that could be your potential edge if you're a business. It could be your potential exposure and risk if you're a business or an individual. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah, very true. And uh, unfortunate, I, I gave up long ago on the idea of believing that I had any privacy left whatsoever. Um, I, probably not the best approach to take, you know, the abandon I give up, you know, you know everything about me, all cookies <laughs> everywhere. Um, but, you know, but I actually appreciate, you know, like consumer targeted advertisements. I actually do, you know, like I, I, I guess I just really embrace technology really well, but I know that it's still, you know, very uh, concerning to, you know, a lot of people out there. So I appreciate kind of your insight on that. Now, last but not least, I'm kind of curious to know what your guess is for where we go from here and what happens in 2024. Yeah, well, where we go from here, this is an election year. So we talked about resiliency. Um, I think we need to be savvy because people are going to apply AI in all kinds of disingenuous ways. I mean, they already targeted us. Um, you had mentioned, you know, kind of giving up, but, you know, use all these social media websites or your news channel, which is probably algorithmic. Um, and those are going to try to be influenced. You know, so we're going to see lots of, of AI put into misuse. And then we're going to see lots of AI put into very good uses. I mean, it has the potential to revolutionize all kinds of things from material science to biomed to whatever. Um, and so it, it depends on how we look at it and how we approach it. There's going to be a lot of talk about, and there already has been, right? The White House released this executive order around AI. We're expecting a national security memo around AI. So, you know, how do you regulate it is going to be an active discussion. And then, they, again, there are two... Uh, camps, right? There's the one that says, you know, we got to regulate this or it's going to destroy the world, right? They, recently, they, they surveyed like 27 or 2,800 researchers that were all top tier AI researchers that published, you know, in, in journals and they, they surveyed them. Oxford, Bonn and Germany and some other universities put out the results. And, you know, the media tags uh, didn't disappoint. You know, one was there's only a 5% chance of AI making humans extinct, according to experts, right? And the other one puts it a majority of AI experts give annihilation a 5% chance, right? So this is kind of the phrasing uh, around AI and what we can expect. But my encouragement for the individual um, listening is, you know, to inform yourselves on AI, to um, be optimistic about it while suspect of its limitations. Um, make sure you're considering how it affects you individually uh, and professionally and privately. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to come. It's going to come because 
again, we had talked about cost savings, productivity gains. And then if you look at it from a national security perspective, again, there's two camps. There's the we need to regulate it. And then there's, you know, China, Russia and other people are going to pursue this. And if they win this, then we're in trouble. So therefore, we got to do it, you know, and it's the same from a company perspective. If you're a business owner and a CEO, are you going to sit by and say, you know, we'll wait until this whole AI thing passes? Or are you going to be like, well, we need to adopt this because if we don't, then the guy across the street's going to, and then we're going to be screwed. And so then you have this race, right? And so that's, that's what 2024 will probably look like is lots of arguments about how fast, how to regulate, how to implement um, with some pressure on your shoulders that you feel like you should do it now. Meanwhile, you're going to have these, you know, actors, bad actors that are going to try to exploit either cybersecurity systems or election systems or at least social media and news and, you know, how people think. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic year for sure. It will indeed. And I apologize. I don't know if you can hear. I think my neighbor is snowblowing because, of course, somebody needs to do that in the middle of us recording a podcast episode. But if you guys can just ignore that, um, you know, for sure, I will actually kind of like a PSA um, in case people haven't heard about this. You know, one of the ways that I know um, it, AI has already been fraudulently implemented is, you know, being able to sound like someone else's voice, uh, anyone's voice, basically. And I myself have actually experienced, you know, getting a call from my bank uh, to, you know, alerting me to some, you know, concerning activity and just needing to verify some info because otherwise they're going to have to freeze my account, which, you know, um, it's becoming very impressive. Uh, luckily, at least at the company at Blue Lake, we have, you know, very, um, we have designated representatives that we always speak with, bankers we always work with. So, you know, I knew very well it was indeed not our banker, but, you know, a note of caution to people out there that this is definitely one of those ways that it's already being fraudulently used and implemented to target, you know, companies and, you know, wealthier individuals. So anyway, but I we could go on about this for hours, I'm sure. So I really appreciate, you know, all of the insights that you've shared with us. That was very good advice. Um, you definitely helped add perspective for me that I hadn't even thought of otherwise. And it is gonna be an interesting 2024. Um, before we wrap up, we do have what I call the lightning round questions. And there are five questions that I ask all of the show, all of the guests on the show. And if you've actually listened to my show, then hopefully you know what these questions are. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So first of all, Nathan, when you're not doing like, you know, 16,000 different jobs, creating companies, traveling all over the U.S. and the rest of the world. What do you actually do for fun? Uh, I love to read. Pretty active reader. Um, I just read a book by Matthew Crawford, who was talking about the attention economy and basically endorsed the view that we should be able to opt out. Like we should have to opt into targeted ads rather than have to opt out, including those that grab our attention. So uh, I echo that sentiment. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. All right. And this one is going to be tough because you're talking to me. So what is something interesting about you that most people don't know? Um, I've had 12 surgeries and 11 different broken bones, and I'm still here in mostly one piece minus a few parts. This is true. This is true. I was going to actually leak the info about you being born with an extra toe or two. Was it one extra toe or two extra toes? <sighs> Yeah, I, I keep that part quiet because <laughs> I, I feel uh, 
am suffering from the middle school ridicule <laughs> that I, I had. Oops, sorry. <laughs> well, um, we will move on from there. All right. <laughs> I guess in fairness, is there any fun fact that you want to share with the listeners about me since technically you're my brother and you would have more insight, knowledge, and potential dirt on me than anybody else. Yeah, I don't think our mother would agree to any of the answers that come up to the top of my head. So <laughs> I get to hide behind mom still. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, All, right. Totally. <laughs> All right. And now um, you already touched on one book, but I know that, you know, you are an avid reader. So what uh, book would you recommend, you know, our listeners definitely prioritize at least reading once? A uh, Hundred Years of Solitude on the fiction side, um, a fascinating book. Um, you can read into it about Central and Latin America, if you wish. You can read into it about just the nature of human beings and the dangers of generational propagation of either opportunity or challenges that make their way through. Um, lots of places to go in, in that book, I would say. And then I, I recently read Rigors of Angel by a guy named Eggington. Uh, it's a little highbrow, I have to say. It's about like Kant, um, Jorge Luis uh, Borges, and uh, Heisenberg. Um, but it's just talking about how we construct our reality and the illusions that that creates. And so that's a nonfiction work. I found it challenging, but redeeming. So, so there's two. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, very good. Now, um, you know, on the show, we try to talk a lot about, you know, obviously, we're always talking about money and returns and deal structures and all kinds of things like that. Um, but, you know, we're not just here to talk about money. One of our biggest goals is really to encourage our listeners to build extraordinary lives, to live extraordinary lives. And, you know, money is just simply one of those tools to help people do that. So what would you say is your advice for people that are trying and striving to build an extraordinary life? Yeah, diversification. Um, we talked about earlier, you know, if you get your news and you get all of your information from one source, then, you know, that's bad for you and that's bad for society. Uh, a quick plug for another book is The Righteous Mind um, by Jonathan Haidt. Really good book. And it, it sort of speaks to that danger. But diversification is really good for investment portfolios, right? Um, it's good for risk mitigation, but it's also just good for society. If your friends all sound like you and look like you, that's probably not a, a good thing. Um, so diversifying your friends, diversifying your literature, diversifying your portfolio um, is bound to lead to better outcomes for you and, and people around you. So that, that'd be my two cents. Excellent. Excellent. It reminds me of something a professor said to me one time at UTEP, that you're either multicultural, uh, multilingual, or you're by yourself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Now, last but not least, Nate, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Uh, 927NATE at gmail.com is the quickest, 927NATE uh, at gmail.com. Um, hopefully it gets through the, the AI automated spam filters, but I'm sure it will. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to help. I'm happy and always interested in uh, different areas to pursue so so hit me up all right very good well thank you very much nathan this was fun and i was very excited to get to have you on the show we'll have to have you back again maybe at the beginning of 2025 to see how we did on our predictions yeah let's do it thanks for having me all right 
And for those of you listening today, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you listening in. Please make sure to like, rate, and review the show. Leave some comments for us and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. In the meantime, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.